You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is Season 2, Episode 19. And in this episode, we're taking a look at climate adaptive technology and how it's enabling communities. Our guest today is Matt Mizzy, founder and CEO of Drinkable, the world's first accurate, affordable, and easy-to-use handheld water testing device. Matt has a degree in environmental science from Acadia University. He's a venture capital enthusiast, and Drinkable is the winner of the Bioinnovation Challenge. All right, Matt, thanks so much for joining us here on the Onside Podcast. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Alex. Thanks for having me. Okay, awesome. Well, we'd love for you to share a little bit about your background, who you are, and who is Matt Mitzi. Matt Mitzi is uh, an environmental scientist by education, born and raised by a engineer turned CEO. So I had uh, I had some blueprints to follow there, and uh, I got uh, entangled in the world of venture capital through a competition at my school, and then that led to me actually getting a job as a research analyst for a managed fundraising firm doing Series A investment raising for med tech companies in Toronto. Did that for about six months and determined that I wanted to leverage my environmental science education with my venture capital learnings and go out and gather money to work on the the most pressing problems from an environmental science perspective. Mm, Okay. That sounds like a really interesting background with a lot of, I would say, twists and turns. Uh, So science, VC, investing. And so your, your company is called Drinkable. How did you get around to creating Drinkable as a company and what, what does Drinkable do? Well, Drinkable is creating a handheld device and we like to call it the world's first easy to use, affordable and accurate water testing device for consumers. So uh, the idea there is we're going to take really advanced technology and pare down the use case of that technology below technicians, which is usually what testing equipment is designed for, so that it's a button press. Mm-hmm. We stabilize the water automatically. We test for all the appropriate analytes that you should be concerned about as opposed to getting the consumer to figure that out. And uh, it's semi-reusable, so it's got a consumable cartridge, but you can reuse the device over and over again, which makes the testing process much less painful. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's especially pertinent in our target market, which is well users, because they're supposed to be testing every six months to a year, mm. and almost no one tests mm. uh, because of the obstacles involved. So we're trying to fix that. Mm. Okay. Well, I know there are a lot of folks here in Nova Scotia and Atlanta, Canada that do use well water, and uh, I've heard some pretty bad stories about people realizing that their well water is contaminated and, and not having access to fresh and, and clean water. And uh, I know we talked a little bit uh, before about how you got the idea to create the company. And I think you said you met some of your co-founders at a, at a hackathon. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So uh, Aqua Action is a water initiative focused organization out of Montreal uh, or Quebec. And uh, they have, I believe it's three different chapters of this competition. One of them is the Atlantic Canadian Aqua Hacking Challenge. And it's a nine-month challenge where you're, they re- reveal a set of uh, selected water problems and you are in competition to develop solutions for those problems. And one of them was well water testing. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, previously dabbled in water treatment and identified that uh, water testing was likely the biggest bottleneck to, for the access to clean drinking water in Canada and didn't yet know that that was obviously the case for the rest of the world, but mm-hmm. uh, have learned that since. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. I, uh, I myself, I've uh, traveled. We talked a little bit about you traveling kind of internationally. I know you've uh, you lived in Australia and Norway and been a whole bunch of places. Uh, myself growing up, I also lived, um, my father was a medical doctor and we lived in a variety of developing countries in Thailand and the Ivory Coast in, in West Africa. And uh, access to clean water was a very important issue for health, well-being, all, all of those kinds of things. Um, it's surprising uh, how few places in the world you can drink the tap water. I think very few people are aware of that that haven't left. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's actually one of the most interesting groups of people that we're now targeting on the marketing side because most immigrants who come here, it takes them like three years to trust the tap water. Mm. They, one of our co-founders, Robert, from who grew up in Ghana, still boils and then filters every single cup of water he drinks. Oh, interesting. And he's on Halifax Water Supply. So oh. it's... We're, we're getting a lot of interest from people who, regardless of the logic behind it, the emotional anecdote from seeing people getting sick drinking tap water is ingrained in a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes when my my children start asking for all kinds of things and I get a little fed up with their privilege that they have, I tell them, you have no idea how lucky you are to live here in Canada. You have fresh air, clean water and safety. Like these are things that you just take for granted. And clean water is one of those things that they roll their eyes at me because they think, oh, you know. But I've been a lot of places where that is not the case. And, um, you know, up north here in Canada and and other places, it's not quite the same. And and we do sort of take it for granted. Although I think every once in a while we get some uh, boil water advisories here here around Halifax with Halifax Water. It presents an interesting problem for us because almost no investors grew up in those environments. Mm -hmm. The privilege that sets them up for success in their field often leaves them ignorant of the challenges that are faced around the world and even in rural environments here in Canada. So mm. that's been one of the biggest challenges for us is actually mm. uh, educating them in the, in the process of, of the pitch. Mm, interesting. And then that's a really good point. So so why don't you uh, help some of our listeners who are tuning in help us kind of understand, you know, why is clean water important? Like what, what makes it so difficult to get it in different places? I mean, I feel like people should know this. But as you said, like if you've always grown up and always had clean water, you just uh, sort of take it for granted. So why is clean water helpful? Why is it good to have? Well, I think it's so elementary that it can often offend people mm-hmm. to, uh, to to try and, and break down why it's so important. But it's part of literally everything. Like it's part of the machines we rely on. It's part of the pharmaceutical industry we, we rely on, the medical system, our agricultural system, our heaters. Like if the wrong water goes through the heating system, the machine breaks, we don't get heat. Mm-hmm. The, the petroleum industry for the, the energy that we very much take for granted everything, soldiers on the ground who don't have access to clean drinking water, and then everyday people who very much rely on it to survive and to thrive. And yeah, I, I mentioned the statistic in the last episode, but clean drinking water or, or a lack of access to clean drinking water results in about 50% of the world's medical issues or uh, uh, hospital patients. And um, that is likely going to get a lot worse. Like mm-hmm. the trends are pointing in some very scary directions. And it's soon, it's like 2040, 2030, 2050, before mm-hmm. we're, we're facing completely different realities than now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these things, this water that's really important to us, that keeps our pharmaceutical industry turning, that keeps the lights on and the, the products we're used to flowing. For instance, there's a factory in, in Germany, it's a mm-hmm. Tesla factory, they can't run it, it's too low in water. 
There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a pharmaceutical company in, in Texas can't run. The water's too low. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to become really normal, unfortunately, as there's more companies, more people, lower water levels, and the water complexity uh, starts to increase mm-hmm. because of the contamination. You know, PFOS is another really interesting forever chemicals. It's in rainwater now. It's a, a worrying levels in rainwater. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, this precious thing that we're, it's, it's, critical to everything we've gotten used to, including life itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's at risk right now. Mm-hmm. So that's why water is important to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, well, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing that because I, th- I do think it's, uh, you know, we have got water here on the table. And when you have clean drinking water and you don't really have to think about it, I mean, even near my house, uh, I can see the water uh, levels draining in the, a lake that's near me, I'm near uh, Williams Lake and other places. And I've been following the news a bit about communities, especially in South America, where in Peru and other places where it's um, the water levels are not there or they're not getting enough uh, rain, it's drought and people have to move. So there's, uh, you know, migration patterns are also being uh, affected as well because Mm -hmm. people can't go back to the watering holes that they're used to or have been there for generations and whole communities are are moving and it's impacting um, migration and, uh, you know, urbanization and things like that. So there are all of these downstream effects as well that uh, we are very privileged here not to uh, be too concerned about. So I appreciate you you sharing some of that. And w- with Drinkable, you know, it's interesting because we talked to you, a little, you shared a little bit about the technology and what you're trying to do. And uh, you have this uh, device that allows people to easily kind of test their water. Do you feel like is Drinkable a social purpose company or is it just a, a regular business or... Like, do you think that you're trying to unlock uh, social or economic value with your company? I'm going to take a very roundabout way to answer this. Okay. (laughs) I am someone that thinks the animal in humans is alive and well, and that that needs to be respected and represents some hardwiring that should be worked with, not ignored or uh, against. And it's very clear to me that humans at large like climbing hierarchies, like like animals in nature. It's very important to our psyche to, to even try. We don't necessarily even have to, have to succeed, but it's very rewarding to even see where you lie in a competence hierarchy of any discipline. Very rewarding. And I think that competence hierarchy is changing. I don't think we like value just being a billionaire anymore. That's like, it's not very cool. It's kind of like, well, what did you do? Like that money represents literally millions of hours of human firepower of getting things done. And if you're just like launching cars into space with it, I don't think people are excited by that anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, a big part of it for me is there are people who are far more competitive than me and that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would love to set an example of a hierarchy where you can utilize a profitable company to solve a world problem and get recognized for that. And I think that recognition is something that everybody's ultimately looking for, but might not know that that hierarchy is there. Mm. And um, I think the success we've had at Drinkable, it's almost like too much over the past year. Mm. I don't love seeing my face on like a weekly or daily basis on LinkedIn (laughs) by someone sharing a a success story or something. That gets old pretty quick. And the fact that it's already old is kind of frightening (laughs) me a bit. But um, I think that that's going to do wonders to show that like that's how you achieve this thing that's really rewarding on an animal perspective. And it just feels good. It gets to scratch all the itches that we're after. It's like we want responsibility. We want to we want to be important to our communities. 
And I don't think there's a person on the planet that, that would prefer to be poor mm-hmm. versus uh, financially well off. So yeah, I think from a human perspective, that's the angle. But from a success perspective, the fastest and most effective way to do this quickly and responsibly, in, in my opinion, is to work with the private side of society, which is get a bunch of funding, maybe ignoring some of the, the roundtable discussions that would slow things down within government and promise a return to investors that are willing to take a risk, model the company to fit their very specific investor needs. Like There are some human limitations to what companies can be and if they will, will be worth investment to investors. So mm-hmm. just like we create a product specifically for a target persona, we're really making this for our specific individual that represents like the proxy to our market. Mm-hmm. In the same way, we're collecting primary research on investors and trying to build the company as a product for them mm-hmm. because they're, they have a legal obligation to protect the money that they're investing from their, uh, their, their LPs, their limited partners. So we're trying to make their job easier. And in so doing, we're making our jobs on the fundraising side a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So I think all the right rationale needs to be built into the structure of the company from the get-go. Uh, you, you can't wait to figure out what your culture is down the line mm-hmm. and what your purpose is and what the whys are. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that that's uh, so, so important because it's, a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a lot easier to do at the beginning, but if the... Uh, what do you call it? You put the cart before the horse. Mm. You know, it's uh, if it's out down the road and it's you know rambling down the road and you don't really have a good control over it, it'll get out of control. It's much harder to bring that back in, to bring in the culture, bring back in um, your strategy around how you're going to line up investment and those kinds of things. You know, I know uh, you had mentioned um, that you had some some background looking at VC and. Uh, being familiar with that, uh, you know, prior to, to founding Drinkable, how how did that sort of impact how you decided to to go about sort of creating the company? It's huge. If I had just come to this with the environmental science perspective, I would have worked with the technologies that are currently available. I would have created a revenue-based company, grown very slowly, helped a small amount of people, probably had a, an easier life. <laughs> but um, that isn't what needs to be done right now to solve problems at the pace that need to be solved. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, the world we're going to be left with is a world that we're going to be feel, I think, personally accountable for. Mm -hmm. So um, once I learned that venture capital is a a faster way to get the fuel that's needed to solve this problem, not just for for one group or one person, but could be applied elsewhere because of the scale. Yeah, very fundamental to the direction we went. And it was part of the night before the semifinals pitch of the Aqua Hacking Challenge, I reconfigured the business model and found like this is the business model mm-hmm. that would attract investors. Mm-hmm. This is why we're doing this. This is now scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from like literally day zero, that has been something that has been really important to to me as a, as a co-founder. Well, I think it's a wise words uh, that you've you've uh, set out before us, and I hope that the entrepreneurs who are listening kind of take that to heart or, or think, you know, say, oh, you know, maybe this is something I need to consider because uh, I've known many technical founders who really love their technology and get so immersed in it, uh, which is important. You need to have like good stuff. That's um, that's the hierarchy they're climbing. Yeah, that's what they've been taught. They're in academia, and if they stay there too long, like that's the hierarchy that becomes rewarding and. 
sometimes we have to break out of our comfort zones and and look at the big picture mm-hmm. and, and and the long term like you've got a life ahead of you mm-hmm. do you want a stack of papers or do you want to look back on a legacy of change mm-hmm. yeah well, how, how do you want to drive impact like where yeah. do you want to where do you want to show up and how do you want to drive that so you've been out on the road you know you've been pitching and trying to raise money for this company and I don't know if you have um, much experience or, or perspective about this, but, you know, do you feel that the landscape that's out there from a, a VC or angel perspective is a bit different for companies that are focused on sustainable technologies or climate adaptive technologies or, you know, things like that, that uh, where, where I guess maybe drinkable would, would fall into? Do you feel like that landscape is a bit different compared to maybe other I mean obviously you know people making apps and you know things like I mean and if you have a component of that but uh, is that a bit different what is that like I think it's more difficult so it's it's easier to get non-dilutive mm-hmm. as soon as you're trying to solve something that the government gets votes from helping to solve mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> sorry to put the put it that way but you know that's the reality of of how things often work and but on the flip side, as soon as investors see that the drive for the solution is not scale, it's not a return on investment, like those sorts of things are often mm-hmm. woven into sustainable companies. It's just like, I'm doing this because I was really sad one day and I didn't want to be sad. And I know that's an oversimplification, but that's how a lot of investors look at it. Mm-hmm. It's just like this, here's this person who's trying to feel good, but are they going to make difficult choices? And do they do they have the heart to be frankly, as cold as you need to be sometimes. And it can be really hard, for instance, letting a co-founder go who was critical for the ideation stage. But that's all they want to do. They want to keep ideating. And when they might have had a significant chunk of the company, you're killing the company to not have those hard conversations. And I think um, a lot of investors are used to seeing some of those sustainable companies kind of lack that that grittiness, that adherence to some of the the, the stark realities of, of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Having to make hard choices. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. competitive. So it's, you know, it's, I'm still friends with some, for, with, uh, with everyone really, but uh, we had to let one of the co-founders go for, for that very reason. And that was incredibly challenging. It took mm-hmm. months to build up the confidence to do that, to even hint at that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the first conversation is definitely the hardest. Yeah. But uh, I think that's the sort of angle that a lot of investors look at a company and go, it's too soft mm-hmm. or it's likely to be too soft. Mm-hmm. And that I, I've, I've, I've had investors just not want to hear the rest of the pitch because they're like, oh, you're a social impact company. Mm. And it's like, I, I can also make you a lot of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I know that's what you care about. So yeah. let's keep talking. Yeah. Did you see the market size here? Do you see the size of the problem? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But that's a, uh, no, I think that we've had other uh, guests, uh, you know, or folks have talked about that as well. You know, the ability to have those difficult conversations, especially if it's with a co-founder or something else or, or make hard choices. And you talked, you know, about some of the things that you're, you witness with your own father having to, you know, run his company and trying to scale it and get it to the level it needs to be. So, I imagine it's, you know, with social purpose uh, companies as well or, you know, trying to solve uh, some of these problems, even though they can make money, there's always maybe uh, it sounds like there's a, a bias maybe uh, from VCs or things like that, that you might be too soft hearted to make the hard choices. Well, I think a, a good example of the perspectives a lot of the top investors take and recent Horowitz, which is like one of the premium investment groups, like crazy deep pockets. It is part of their policy to pick founders who are egotistical. 
Hmm. Like they're looking for a, uh, what was the word? Megalomaniac or something. Mm-hmm. I can't a narcissist remember. or something. Basically, because yeah. we've synthesized why that's important into the company. Mm-hmm but they think they can succeed at everything. Mm-hmm. And so they aim for the top of the big mountain and you need to be at the top of the big mountain to get the returns you need as a VC because mm-hmm. a single success can pay off the entire fund and most of the companies are ultimately failures aiming that high. Mm-hmm. So we've taken a mathematical approach to that and said, okay, what's the risk we need to take? Mm-hmm. And we understand that like a solution like this doesn't get to the world unless we aim really high for all of those reasons. Mm-hmm. So we've we've been able to synthesize that, but. Ultimately, it's really important that you aim high. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, well it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of conundrum because you think about a company like a Uber or something like that where they've grown, it's scaled, you know, everybody's super excited about them. But internally, their culture, they've been like hammered, you know, relentlessly, um, you know, at the same time. We've seen, we've seen a lot of cases like that uh, sort of more recently. So, you know, on the one hand, you want to have that founder who's going to drive, think big, do the big things. But on the other hand, if you do all of that and you don't have the other supports, the culture, the other things, it can burn you at the other end as well. So there's Absolutely. a there's a there's a bit of a, a balance, and it sounds like you you guys have thought about that and trying to to navigate that to to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know one thing that we also talked about was this idea, and I really loved it in some of our earlier conversations. But this idea around empowering people with technology. And I know that's something that you're pretty passionate about with Drinkable. Can you talk a little bit about how you feel that, um, you know, your technology and what you're making at Drinkable is uh, empowering people? I think like a good way to put it is that water literacy is really low everywhere. Mm. And this is a tool that'll essentially read it out loud for you. And um, coming back to that statistic where like half of hospitalizations are due to just not knowing what's in the water, obviously that's empowering. If you're from a community where like you don't make it past the age of 50 or you see someone in the community like regularly dying of of diseases that can be attributed to a local contaminant of some kind, Mm -hmm. knowing on that day, week, month, part of the year in the dry season that you should be going to a different well, boiling the water, running it through a filter, that to me is empowerment. And I think... uh, In the Syrian refugee crisis, as an example, you had like a five-year drought around the city and a lot of people not able to manage the safety of their family, Mm -hmm. probably seeing their kids get sick on a regular basis. And at some point they said, I'm going to give up everything and walk to a city nearby. And it completely devastated the local infrastructure because the water resources they had there could not support the ballooning population. So it caused the entire city to collapse. And I think that's a warning for the future. Like that's going to happen everywhere. And and in a lot of cases, the government isn't going to be the person that gets you clean drinking water. Mm. And so I view this as adaptive climate technology because it will empower people to find another puddle if they need to find another puddle. Don't drink that one, drink something else. And, you know, maybe weigh up. I'd rather drink arsenic than a lot of bacteria. Mm -hmm. Like those are challenges we don't face here, but that may be something that is required to to help a very changing landscape over the next 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, gosh, I just got this really heavy, heavy feeling. Um, Unfortunately, know. I think it's it's due. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because as we said, we're, you know, we're very lucky here. We can just, you know, we're having tea and, 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 and things like that. But, uh, you know, people are on the move and you may need to make a decision about what uh, pathogen am I willing to ingest because 
the human body cannot exist without water. Is it three days? I think you can survive without water. But anyway, it's yeah. either way, you know, so we're, we're talking about, you know, the, you know, some communities just, you know, needing for, for uh, healthy well water. But, uh, you know, in other cases, there could be groups of migrants or in a refugee camp or, you know, other places where the water resources really, really, really stretch, stretch thin. And maybe in a lot of situations, they wouldn't be a refugee if they mm-hmm. could have managed their environment better, not had this feeling like I'm letting my kids down. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can stay here. And like, you know, we've got four different water sources. And as long as I can juggle in between them, we get to stay here mm-hmm. and I can continue the, you know, the community and the culture that we've built up over many generations in this one spot. That's a lot to give up. Mm-hmm. That would be enormously devastating to not be able to manage your own essentials. Mm-hmm. So again, that's where the autonomy comes in. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate uh, you sharing sharing your your perspective today around why water is so important, why it's important to you. Uh, what Drinkable is trying to do and and uh, create opportunities for people to um, have the information, the knowledge, and empower themselves around the decisions that they make when they are testing water and, and seeking water. And uh, I hope that um, folks will uh, take heed to that. Any last parting words you'd like to share? I do have one more question, which is our typical onside question that I'd love to ask you. But any parting thoughts kind of on uh, climate emergency, climate change, where where we're going with that that's on your mind? There's a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or a call to action that you think would be uh, useful for people to consider. I think... I think I have a very centrist perspective on a lot of topics. And this is one where I feel like I can understand why a lot of people on one side would prefer to believe that the climate situation isn't as dire as it really is. And I would encourage everyone to reconsider the narratives that make the world comfortable enough to not be stressed in and to allow the stress to be present. Because without that stress, we're not going to be motivated to make the choices that we need to make to mitigate a lot of what's coming. And ultimately, you're going to thank yourself for doing that. So just ask yourself the hard questions, uh, regardless of which side of the fence you land on, and uh, and find a way to be part of, of a brighter future as, as opposed to a stagnant one. Okay. I like that. I like that. Okay. I have one final question. Love to ask all of our, our guests about this. And that is really just around innovation-driven entrepreneurship. What does that mean to you? Um, using anything new to improve access to something somebody else wants or needs, um, whether that's a service, if that's a car, if that's water, if that's helping someone, I don't know, give birth. Those are all pretty <laughs> great things. So if you can make them better, then uh, I think you're an entrepreneur. If you're at least if you're making money in the process, <laughs> if you're doing it for free, then you're just a saint. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think the innovation side doesn't necessarily even have to be technology. But uh, as long as you're blending maybe two old things together or optimizing something that came before, you know, if you're if you're fixing something, if you're making something new, I think you're an innovator. Okay. I love it. I love it. And if uh, folks want to know more about Drinkable, how can they find more information about Drinkable? I would love if more people learned about Drinkable. <laughs> so you can go to www.drinkable.tech, T-E-C-H. Uh, we do have pre-orders open for our version one, uh, which hopefully we can launch uh, fall next year or late summer next year. 
And, uh, and yeah, if you have any questions, please email us uh, at the email that can be found on our website, info at drinkable.tech. Okay, that sounds great. I appreciate having you here on the show, and thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. It's been great. Yeah. And for uh, folks who want to learn more about Onside, you can, of course, subscribe to our podcast. Please do that. Uh, And you can check out our website, which is onsidenow.ca. Lots of great information about our inclusive innovation monitor. And as we come to a close, I'd like to also thank Community, Culture and Heritage. We're so grateful for your support and helping us make this podcast. And uh, stay tuned for our next episodes. It'll be out soon. Thanks. This has been a Podstarter production. production.